How can we avoid presumptuous prayers? You remember the psalmist said, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. And he said he'd be spared from the great transgression. You know, of all times to avoid presumption should be in prayer. Those of you who have followed us in our previous studies recall that two of my brothers were quite sure that I was guilty of presumption as I was praying for that $6,000 need that we had. And uh, they would return again and again. They loved me. <clears throat> they really loved me. They're older brothers. And you know older brothers know so much more than younger brothers. And they really loved me, and they knew so much better than I did, and they were free to tell me this, how guilty I was of presumption. And uh, once or twice, if I began to sort of remonstrate a little bit, one of them kind of did this to the other. He said, you know, I've always known there's something a little wrong with Glenn. You know, if a man tells you there's something wrong with your foot or your leg, you can say, no, see, it works. If he says your arm is broken, you say, no, see how it works. But if he tells you there's something wrong with your mind, the more you try to prove there isn't, the more you prove there is. What is a presumptuous prayer and how do we avoid presumptuous prayers? One of the most outstanding presumptuous prayers is the holier-than-thou prayer. Presumption, you might be interested in look in the dictionary and find the definition of the word presumption. It's lifting self up. A person can lift himself up in prayer. How, what are some of the different ways by which a person can avoid lifting himself up in prayer? Number one, he should avoid telling God how to answer his prayer. Here's a husband and wife. One would like to be reconciled to the other. It doesn't seem to be working out like he thinks. Shall he say, now, Lord, you are, I'm demanding that you give me my wife back. Ah, oh, listen, Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call unto me and I'll answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you don't even know. So we should let the Lord present the options. We should let the Lord make the choices. I'm thinking of a long, young lady who thought she could never give up her husband. He was demanding of her that she either partake of all of the worldly uh, games and society and drinking and carousing, or else he would, dis he would divorce her. I said, don't worry. The Lord has a beautiful future. Let the Lord work it out his way. She would sob. She would cry her heart out. Oh, but I, I can't get along without him. Yes, you can, but you can't get along without the Lord. Don't tell the Lord how to do it. My friends, that young lady so completely yielded to the Lord to let the Lord do the great and mighty things. God gave her another man, <laughs> a beautiful Christian. We're sitting one evening at their table, and the young man stepped out in the other room to bring in another hot dish, and I said, while he's gone, would you tell me, how does your present marriage compare with a marriage that you lost? She said, my other marriage at its best couldn't even compare with the happiness I found now. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, call upon me, I'll answer you. I'll do great and mighty things, but they will not be the way you expect. When you and I start trying to tell the Lord how to do it, 
my friends, be careful. We're lifting up self above God. Let's let the Lord guide us. He said, the meek he will guide in judgment. The meek he will teach his way. That's Psalm 25, verse 9. Don't be like little Mary was. Her family was moving from Boston, Massachusetts to Knoxville, Tennessee. And little Mary wanted them to take her little puppy dog. Naturally, you couldn't blame her. The name of the little puppy was Troubles. <clears throat> oh, mommy, I want Troubles to go with us. They said, it's just impossible. The situation is such, we can't do it. And they explained to her all the reasons. But she wouldn't listen, but of course, she had to leave Troubles. On her way from Boston to Knoxville, she said, Dear Jesus, when we get to Knoxville, Tennessee, I want you to have troubles there. When she got to Knoxville, Tennessee, troubles wasn't, not that trouble was there. She went to a church day school the next day and formed the fellowship of another little girl, and she had to tell her about Jesus and how mean Jesus was. She said, I want to tell you something about Jesus. She said, I told Jesus that when we got to Knoxville, Tennessee, that he should have troubles there. She said, you know what happened? Jesus disobeyed me. Well, we can perhaps overlook it in a little girl until we teach her better. But my friends, we who are adults, God wants us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to such an extent that we'll say, Lord, not my way. I think I know the best way. But how, who am I to pit my judgment against the judgment of the infinite Creator and the Christ of Calvary who loves me with an infinite love? Lord, I will let you work it out your way. It'll save a lot of heartache, friends. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me make the decisions. And you will not end up unhappy in me. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened unto my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river, thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. Casting all of our care upon him, he cares for us. <clears throat> Another type of uh, presumptuous prayer is when we lift up ourselves in sin. And because the Lord does some wonderful things for us, we use his answers to prayer as a justification as though we were doing right. Oh, how many people have said that to me? They said, if I were doing wrong, do you think the Lord would do what he's doing for me? They forget that Matthew, the fifth chapter and the 45th verse says, God causes a sun to shine, his sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He sends the showers <clears throat> on the just and on the unjust. So the fact that God does some wonderful things for us in no way justifies our sinning and using these as a justification, you see. Not for the world. God says, look, don't, don't, don't think that because I gave power for Judas to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, for you'll find it there in the Gospels. He gave this power to the twelve. Don't think that this meant that Judas was right. It meant that I am merciful, I am long-suffering, I am revealing my love, hoping that men and women, sensing my infinite love, will reach up and accept my love and say, Lord, not my way, but your way. But Judas didn't do it. 
he excused his transgression on the basis of the wonderful things that God helped him to do. Don't pray a compromising prayer. You know what a compromising prayer is? It's when we want to hold the world in one hand and Jesus in the other. You know, the world is going in one direction and Jesus going in the other. If we hold on to both, you know what it'll do? It'll tear us apart. Love not the world, 1 John 2, 14 and 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. My friends, the happiest day that can come to a sinner's life is that day that he says, look, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. And when we give that witness to the world, and men and women realize that we really are not clinging to the world in Jesus, oh, they'll say, there goes a Christian. I remember one morning I was preaching, and I was praying for the Holy Spirit. There's a young lady there, very unhappy. She professed to be a Christian, but she was very much filled with trauma. And that morning, I felt impressed in my sermon to relate some experiences of how individuals had completely yielded to Jesus, just completely surrendered to his wonderful love. And I said, you know, people are unhappy when they try to hold on to the world, the things that are in the world, the things that stimulate sensuality or dishonesty, trickiness in dealing, reading these continued stories that only feed the sensuous life. I said, I would like to invite you in the name of Jesus to come forward. And if you would like to come forward, if you've not been happy in Jesus, to lay aside all the questionable things. Among the people who came to the altar was a young woman. And <clears throat> she had really zeroed in on us about the trouble that she'd had in her life. She couldn't be happy. Everything was wrong. After that meeting was over, it was like the peace of Christ had filled her life. And I said, look, what happened as you came to the altar? She said, I was reading a lot of novels. I was reading a lot of sensuous literature. And she said, that morning, I brought that and laid it at the foot of the cross. And I said, Lord, I don't want the world in you. I want to give up everything that will turn me into sensuality. And she said, the peace of Jesus filled my heart. Amen. Now, Jesus said to the man that was healed, as found in John, the fifth chapter, and the 14th verse, he said, Go sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. This means that as we pray for healing of our body, we should also pray for the healing of our soul. Thirty years ago, when my wife and I were going through this traumatic experience, and I was so ill in my mind and so ill in my soul and so ill in my body. I said, oh, Lord, I claim your healing promise of Jeremiah 33, 6. It says, I will bring Glen Coon health and cure. I will cure Glen Coon. I will reveal unto Glen Coon the abundance of peace and truth. I said, Lord, I don't ask you to heal me physically faster than you heal me spiritually. I'd rather be a dead saint than a living rebel. What do you say, beloved? And then the next is 
don't pray the prayer that, uh, that permits us to go out of the devil's ground while we're asking the Lord to save us from the sin that is found there. My father used to quote to us 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, abstain from all appearances of evil. He had eight boys, no girls, so you know he had some counsel to give us. And he said, boys, I want to tell you how not to get in trouble with the girls. And his counsel doesn't sound too, too flattering to young people these days. He said, I'll tell you how you surely will never get in trouble with them. Hands off, three feet distance. That's, qu that's quite a remedy, isn't it? And then he told us a story of how if you want to keep from sinning, keep off of the, of the magnetic field. You know what the magnetic field is. When I came home from school one day, just as a little fella, maybe 10 years old, my brother Lester and I came home. We noticed our brother David, who was seven years older than I, he was there at the table, and he had some steel filings, iron filings. And uh, I didn't notice what he had under the table, the big magnet he had, and he always liked to kind of fool us. He enjoyed bluffing us. He said, boys, I want to show you what power I have over these filings. He said, if I say to these filings, you go in this direction, they'll go. And if I tell them to go in the opposite direction, they'll go. He said, no, fix your eyes on the filings. And while we're fixing our eyes on the filing, he'd fixed his, his, his hand on the magnet. See, filings, you go west. See, filings, you go east. We said, man, is that tremendous. Brother, that's wonderful. Filings, you go north. And they'd go. They'd scamper. He said, don't you see the power I have over those filings? And then we saw his arm moving. What's your arm doing there? Well, look at the filings. No, what's that arm doing? And then we found that these filings were in the magnetic field. They were powerless when they came onto that magnetic field. The human heart is doomed to fall when it goes deliberately out of the devil's magnetic field. My father said, boys, I want to give you an illustration. How close you're to come to the magnetic field or how far you're to stay away. He said many years ago there was a man, a wealthy man, who had a large estate. And uh, for some reason he lost his coachman, carriage driver, you know, in those days, before we had these beautiful cars. He said, so he advertised, and three men, he said, responded to the advertisement. And as I understand it now, and as I recall it, the three men came into the man's office, sitting there, and he calls one of the men to him and he said, now, if I hire you to be my coachman, he said, I, I, I just am very much interested to know how good a driver you are. He said, now, back on my field, I have an ab abrupt precipice. The land is level, but you can see there is a, is a very abrupt, steep place for quite a distance. Now he said, if I should hire you as my coachman, how good a, a driver are you? How close to this precipice could you take me in safety? And the man kind of straightened up and he said, I'll tell you, I am an excellent driver. I could drive you within three feet very safely. He said, all right, 
uh, sit down here. Call the next man up. How good a, a driver are you? He said, if you hire me, I can drive you within a few inches safely. My wonderful, you may sit. And then he called on the next man. If I should hire you, how close could you take me to this abrupt corner, this precipice? He said, sir, if you hire me to be your coachman, I'm going to keep you just as far from that precipice as possible. He said, sir, you are hired. When Father told us these experiences, friends, they made a tremendous impact. Young men, if you want to be saved from the thraldom of sin, keep off of Satan's magnetic field, for there you're helpless. Abstain from all appearances of evil. This is what the Lord says. You see, presumption is lifting up the heart. It's like the Pharisee. He came up into the temple to pray. And you know how he prayed. He said, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I'm a real religionist, Lord. And I think probably as he was praying, he was in his heart saying, Lord, you know, that's really fair, you see. And over yonder near him was a publican. And he wouldn't so much as look up to heaven. And he said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, the publican who didn't lift up himself, you see, who didn't tell the Lord, I fasted twice a week, you know. Really, I'm a tither, you know. It's all right to fast twice a week, right? It's wonderful to pay tithe. God says if we don't return to him his own in tithes and offerings, we're thieves, we're robbers. But my friends, tithing in no way earns the merit of Jesus Christ. If we do everything that he commands us to do, Jesus said, you're still to look upon yourself as a most unprofitable servant. And he said, the, the Pharisee went back home very unhappy, empty in heart. He'd praised himself. He'd elevated himself in prayer, telling God how good he was. <laughs> the publican told God how bad he was. And he accepted the forgiving love of Jesus Christ. He went home justified. We have around Christians who uh, say something like this. I was with a professed Christian some time ago going for a little walk. And you know what he started telling me about? He said, you know, I've never done this in my life. Ah, uh, He said, I've never touched a woman but my wife ever in my life. And I thought to myself, what's he trying to tell me? Is he trying to tell me how good he is? <laughs> I knew the dirty stories he told. For as a boy back home, I'd heard him tell these sordid stories. And Jesus said, He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. I knew the life that this man lived. Why was he busy telling me what he hadn't done? And you know there are other wonderful Christians. <laughs> I remember a, a Christian, quote, unquote. He said, Brother Kuhn, you know when I go on the bus, he said, 
if I find somebody that's smoking, he said, I really tell him out. He said, I don't smoke. You know what the Bible says when men praise themselves? Isaiah 65, verse 5. Maybe they don't smoke, but God says, you yourself are a smoke in my nostrils. When you go around praising yourself, when you go around telling the things you haven't done, you haven't smoked, but you are smoke. In my nostrils you stink, you stench. There are seven things God hates. One of them is a proud look. And you know, my friends, the most, the most hateful thing in the eyes of God is religious pride. And you know, the last thing a man should be proud over in the world is his religion. He should never be proud over his religion. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I am crucified unto the world. There are times that I have gone to certain meetings of my own church, and I've actually heard men get up and say, I'm proud to be a member of this church. And I thought, oh dear, no, no, no. Let's stop being proud. I'm proud of Jesus Christ. I thank God that he was willing to humble himself and make himself of no reputation to save me. Thank God for his unaudible love, for his suffering on Calvary for you and me. I'm not proud of anything I am, except I'm proud that God has been willing to accept me as his child. Can you say amen? amen. My friends, God does not want any of us Christians to go around boasting as though we were better than some other Christian. This is presumptuous living. We're told in 1 Peter 2.17, honor all men. Can you imagine that? We're told in Philippians 2.3, esteeming other better than ourselves. Can you imagine that? We're told in Titus 3.2, speak evil of no man. Can you imagine that? It says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? No reputation. Jesus Christ came down past stellar worlds and systems and planets and was willing to be abused and humiliated and be hanged on Calvary, nailed there between heaven and earth. And he said, let this mind be in us. How do we come to him? We confess our sins. We ask him to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he will do it. Having come to him on our knees, let's never get up on stilts and act as though we thought we're better than somebody else. Let us cry out, only by the grace of God am I what I am. So we have covered in this study six presumptuous prayers to avoid, the how and the when to leave to God, not to excuse transgression because of answered prayer not to compromise with the world, to realize that when God heals us, we should ask for spiritual healing, to realize we should abstain from all appearances of evil, and of all things, not to take the holier-than-thou attitude toward any other living soul. We come to him on our knees. Isn't it a tragedy after we come to Jesus on our knees to forget how unworthy we are and get up on stilts? May God help us to have the mind of Jesus. Dear Lord in heaven, Thank you at this hour 
as we come to you confessing our unworthiness, you freely forgive, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.